Open your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 8. Book of Acts, chapter 8. And we're going to be looking in the series that we've been preaching all on Sunday nights. Who is your one? Who is your one? You know, our circle of influence is greater than what we think. It's greater than what we think, and God opened opportunities for us to show Jesus around us to many, even often, oh, thank you. If I got my eyes, they usually used to be with me all the time, no, I carry extra. Amen. Why you amen in that? <laughs> and we can be an influence in the life of others in many, many different ways, even not even noticed. But God opened opportunities where you can reach out to just that one that can bring about a great difference. In Acts chapter 8, and we're going to look at the context of the chapter where something great is happening, something amazing is happening, something that you cannot um, <clears throat> prefabricate, something that is done by God and, and God alone, and God all in a sudden is just going to turn things around for this one individual. If you have Acts chapter 8, beginning the first um, three verses, you will see that the church is under great persecution. The Bible describes it, that it's a great persecution. They're always scattered. In fact, it speaks about how the men were making great lamentation over Stephen, the first martyr that was killed by Saul. In verse 3, it read that all Saul were making and havoc of the church. He was going after the church. Is you is, 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 is read it there, verse, verse 3. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. And he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. This is what was their reality in that, in that time. They were going through this great persecution. But even though they were facing this great persecution, the Bible says that those that were scattered, even though they have to leave Jerusalem, they went about preaching the word of God. They went about preaching the word of God. I was speaking to someone today, um, last week in Bible study, and um, he came up with this, with this phrase. Don't suffer in vain, make it count for the kingdom and eternity. You know, the church back then were going through great suffering. And being scattered means that they had to leave their homes, their family, their friends, their known. But even though they were going through all of this, they weren't suffering in vain. They, were go- they got more boldness to preach the word of God wherever they go. And then we come to verse, to verse 5, <clears throat> where he says, Philip, and here's where we take this story up, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. 
And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Philip went up to Samaria, which if you know the, the, the history, was not very fond of the Jews. By the way, this Philip here, there are two Philip, main Philips that are mentioned in the New Testament. One of them is the disciple of Jesus, the one who went and brought Nathaniel, the one who calculated the amount of money that were needed to feed the 5,000. That was one Philip. This Philip here that Acts is talking about in Acts 8 is the Philip that is called the evangelist one of the deacons of the church in Jerusalem who were a helper of the apostles there in Jerusalem. Samaria was introduced to them or to us by Jesus himself. Remember John chapter 4? Jesus with the woman at the, at the well. But now this preaching of Philip going up to Samaria was intentional caused by the persecution. God gave Philip confirmation to his word like he promised. He's preaching, they are listening, the crowds are coming, they're believing, and by giving the word, God is also giving him confirmation through signs and miracles to that word in the name of Jesus Christ. So many of the Samaritans believe there is a revival going on in Samaria. Who doesn't want to be part of a true revival? Not the prefab marketed revival that they want to sell us today sometimes, but a true revival where the sinner is being converted, where people are looking at their sin, but at the same time looking at the solution, looking at the cross, and coming to Jesus in repentance. The Bible said that many were baptized. We're going to look later on. A true revival is going on in that city. I cannot think of any preacher, any missionary, any pastor, any Bible teacher, any Sunday school teacher, any youth leader, any true believer, in fact, who wouldn't want to be part of a place where you see hundreds and hundreds of people being converted and coming to Christ, and you have the opportunity to pray with folks, teach them the Bible, people want to pray, they have questions, and to be part of something like that, wow, what a joy, so much joy, and the name of Jesus being lifted up all over that city, Wow, and especially a city that no one expected. So much so, so much so that in verse 14 from Jerusalem, read verse 14 as you would please. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Spirit was such a revival going on in Samaria that they sent for the apostles, and two of them went up there. They were introduced to Samaria by Jesus. Remember, Peter and John were part of the disciples in the, in the time where Jesus were, uh, spoke to the Samaritan woman. They really didn't understand what was going on. 
And that back then was all Jesus' word. But now they're walking into Samaria and this is their turn to see the work of God, the work, the word, the Holy Spirit, the power of God over these people. And they're not going to miss this opportunity. When they get there and they see what's going on, they pray for the people. They pray for, for the people. They, they made signs and wonder. And the Bible said that many, many were baptized and they took advantage of this opportunity of this revival going on there in Samaria. There are a couple of events that are going to happen while the, the apostles are there. You know, this... Um, <clears throat> this sorcerer that got saved and then he want the power of the Holy Spirit, the name is Simon. They gave more manifestation of the power of God while many were baptized then. But then, verse 25, there is a great turn of events from which we can learn several things and I just want to mention a few. If you would please go to the 25th verse. We read 25th and 26. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down to Je- from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert. I said this is a turn of events. Because you see, Philip is up in Samaria escaping what was going on in Jerusalem, the persecution. And he's in the middle of a revival. And all the, an angel of the Lord is going to tell him to leave Samaria, which is up north, and go down south, go into Jerusalem, 80 miles from where he was, to a desert place near Gaza. One of the things, just by looking at this verse that we learn, that, that, that we're going to learn in what, in what follow, is that the love that Jesus has for that one. The love that Jesus had for that one. All this is going to come together because of one person. Do you know how much Jesus loved that one? Do you know how much he longed for that one? Do you know how much he cares? How much he thinks? How much he will be ready to to perform and do just to reach that one. Well, he took a preacher out of a revival, take him 80 miles to a desert. That's how much the Lord loved that one. Secondly, that I see here is that the power that would convert a city is the same power acting for that one. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? Sometimes we think, you know, because we're human, we look at the numbers. 
and we, and we look at this revival, what's going on in Samaria, look at the hundreds of people getting saved, wow, God is really move, uh, move, moving here, and we get all happy and all joyful. But the same power that is causing that revival and giving life to those in Samaria in all that city is the same power that's going to act for just, for just that one. It's the same power. It's the same converting, living, giving power. The next thing that I look <laughs> in this, and it caused me to laugh a, a little bit, is that don't get too comfy. We should never get too comfy. Why? The Lord may lead you into a desert. In other words, a change of geography just for that one. I tell you, as a preacher, I will feel very comfortable in a revival. Are you kidding me? Every day you, you get up and there's a crowd that want to hear the word of God. You could preach two, three, four times a day and people don't get tired of listening to you. They're even asking for more. Wow, that's a comfy place to be for one who likes to preach. And sometimes we get comfy and we get comfortable in our, in, in our place, in our ministry, in, in, in where we are. We get very comfortable. We know where everything goes. We have everything in our place. We have everything. We have our system. We have our routine. Everything is just so. And we think that that's it. We think, okay, this is where it's going to end. Don't get too comfy. For the love of that one, God might take you and change your geography completely. Put you in a desert just for that one. Put you in a position where perhaps it's not too comfy. It's not too work with air condition. It's not too lively or lovely. But because he want to use you for just that one. The next thing in the story that follows that we're going to see is that it's never just one. It's never just one. Every individual is surrounded by family, friends, or others. I remember my friend who is, who is in heaven now, Marcus. He will have to ride his bicycle and come every Sunday morning and knock on my door about 9 o'clock because he had to be at church at 9.30. He was a Sunday school teacher, and he, 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 he had to be there at 9.30. And, he, and I wouldn't go to church unless he come and pick me up in his bike. I wouldn't walk. I was that lazy. And he would take me back and forth to church. Until the day I got saved, then I started going on my own. But Marcus took an interest in me in such a way that he will spend the time to wake up early on Sundays, ride his bike, come pick me up, take me to church, and take me back every single Sunday. Pick me up for activities, look after me to, uh, to go, introduce me to people. He really become a friend, a ministry, a just one. But guess what? He was not just only one, because this one brought his brothers and sisters. And this one end up being in ministry. And this one become a preacher. 
So he might just minister to just one, but he ends up being much, much more. And one more thing I want to mention about something you can get at what we're going to read next is that sometimes in ministering to that one, sometimes we only get one chance. Sometimes we only get one chance. Look at verse 26. Is the word please. Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in a chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. God changed Philip's geography, as I mentioned before. You know, being, going after that one is going to require action. Action equals obedience. But the, the angel of the Lord told Philip, arise and go. Go, arise and go. And perhaps the spirit will tell you, arise and go to that friend. Arise and go to that co-worker. Arise and go to that stranger. He traveled at least 80 miles in order to get and to reach that one. One of the things we ought to realize when we're going to invest in that one is that it might take time and it will take work. It will not go without effort. It will not go without an effort. He's standing on the road and here come a foreigner, a eunuch of great authority who served the queen. He, he was his, her treasurer. He seems to be a devout man because he was reading but not understanding. He, he, he came to Jerusalem to worship, but he was reading and not understanding, you know? Many of our family members, friends, are in this category. Many who walk among us are also can be defined like him. Having religion, but without understanding. Coming to religion, but no understanding. And Philip came close to that, to that, um, to that chariot. Now, don't ask me how this happened. Because the Bible said that this man was in his chariot. And he was reading. He got to be reading out loud. And the spirit told Philip, come go close to that chariot. Now, I'm guessing the chariot is moving. So whatever spirit is on, whether it's walking or on a donkey, I don't know. He's listening to what this man is reading. 
But what I think that is important here for us to understand in reaching that one is that we cannot put aside the work and the intervention of the Spirit in the work of evangelism. You see, evangelism is not good marketing. Evangelism is not a sales pitch. True evangelism is the work of the Holy Spirit of God. We are just his agent, his mouthpiece. And listen, the, 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 when, the, when, when I'm going to mention and I say, follow the Spirit, is that I remember what Jesus told his disciples in Luke chapter 12, verse 11 through 12. The Holy Spirit will tell us what to say. If you're afraid to talk and you say, well, I'm not going to know what to say. Well, this is the work of the Spirit. He will tell you. He will show you what to say. When the apostles and the church were being persecuted in Acts chapter 4, verse 31, was the Spirit, when they were filled with the Spirit, that gave them the boldness to go and preach. The boldness to go and preach. Naturally, we are fearful to preach. Naturally, we are scared of talking to someone. Naturally, we are uh, um, affected by rejection if someone will say no. But when it's done by the Spirit and in the Spirit, is the Spirit that gives us the boldness to go and speak. Because it's not, in our, it's not in our power. It's not in our flesh. Or at least it shouldn't be. It is the spirit that gives us the power. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, Paul told the Corinthians that his speech was never about human wisdom, but the manifestation of the power of God, the manifestation of the power of the spirit. One of the verses that console me in time of evangelism is, re- is to remember this. What is said in John chapter 6, verse 44, that is God who draw men to himself. It's not my job to do the convincing. It's not my job, of course, and never to do the converting. I convert no one, folks. We can convert no one. That job, that work is done by God and God alone. The Bible says, going back to Acts chapter 8, that Philip went into the, into the chariot. Verse 30. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? That's a good question. And he he said, how can I unless someone guide me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. You know, he heard him reading Isaiah chapter 53. We can't go into that now because of that, but that's what he heard him reading. And he asked a question, do you understand what you're reading? Some of the best ways to reach that one is just by asking a question that relates to them. He met the man where he was. And let me tell you this. 
not only through a program like what we're going to have in a couple of weeks, like a presentation, a drama, but the majority of people, a lot of people during this season become a little bit more what? Religious. A little bit more religious. But do they really understand what does it mean? The great majority don't. How does it affect their life? How it, can, how it should change their life? The majority don't. And a simple question can open the door to allow that person to open up and share their doubts and questions and thoughts. He answer, his answer, the unique answer is very telling. How can I unless someone guide me? Even though he had the scripture and reading a good passage of scripture, he still needed someone to explain to explain it to him. He was blind to the truths that were right in front of his eyes. He asked Philip to come into the chariot with him, taking Philip away even further than where he was. Think about this. And now he was in Samaria, in a desert, but now he was in a chariot going who knows where. Going who knows where. Witnessing to that one could involve some personal sacrifice, my friends. Witnessing to that one could involve some personal sacrifice and going and giving up of time, space, and comfort, resulting perhaps even going out of your way for a long while, a long ride, and even missing out sometimes in favorite activities. We cannot ask God to give us that one if we're not willing to sacrifice. He went on that car, and the Bible says in verse 35 that beginning from that passage, beginning from that passage, verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Philip took that passage and witnessed to him. One of the things that we learn in the word of God is that we better be flexible, open, to witness to someone with the different tools and avenues that the word of God provide. Not everyone need to start with the Romans road. Even though it's a good set of passages. But you might find a person going through a hardship. You might find a person going through a family Situation. You might find a person having questions about what's going on in society or in the world and not understanding. Right where they're at, I guarantee you, there is a passage in the word of God that will guide them and lead them to Jesus. This might take, however, for us to be better prepared. To take advantage of when we have the opportunity to study the Bible, to know more about the Bible, to go deep into the Bible. Now come this transforming moment 
that we love to read. Verse 36, as you would please. This transforming moment. And as they were going along the road, the Bible don't tell us how much time has, transfer, has transpired, they came to some water, and the eunuch says, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. You see, the eunuch wanted immediately, after listening to the testimony, to identify with Jesus. Philip point to his heart. You see, salvation is an issue of faith. It's an issue of the heart. If thou wilt believe in your heart and confess with thy mouth. The belief is in the heart. And when this man, after listening to what um, Philip um, witnessed to him through Isaiah and other scripture about Jesus, he said, hey, there is water. Can I be baptized? He got to... He got up been that they got to the point and Peter must have told him about the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Oh, he is God. The God that was crucified, but the God that rose again on the third day. And now he's in heaven. And now he opened the door for everyone who believes to be saved. He stopped the chariot and, he were, and they descended to the water and he was baptized. When they came up from the water, what happened? The spirit took Philip somewhere else. And the Bible says that the eunuch got into a chariot and continued his way rejoicing. Never saw him again. Never saw him again. This man is, to, is going to continue his travels rejoicing. Once he got back home and to work, guess who is going to hear about what happened? Remember who he was? A very important man in the court of Candace, the queen, the one in charge of all her treasures. Guess what story he will repeat? What scripture do you think he will use to explain Jesus the Messiah? Tradition says that through this man, he's the one responsible for the gospel to reach into, the, into that region of the world. All through the obedience of one man to the direction of the spirit to go and speak to that one. Because it's never just one. And I guess our question for us tonight is who is your one? Who is your one? Who is that one that God is putting on your heart to go and speak? Let's pray. We thank you, Father, for the way you work in such amazing ways in ways that we even 
perhaps don't even expect, which is often the truth. We thank you, Father, for giving us the opportunity to have your word. Help us to be sensitive. Help us to be soft to your voice. Above all, help us to be obedience, obedient. And when you move us in a direction to speak up for you, to witness to, to you, or of you, to others. Father God, impress upon our heart the need, the desire, the burden for one. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.